Today's scripture is Psalm 132, verses 1 through 9, a song of ascents. O Lord, remember David and all the hardships he endured. He swore an oath to the Lord and made a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will allow no sleep to my eyes, no slumber to my eyelids, till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. We heard it in Ephrathah. We came upon it in the fields of Jar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priests be clothed with righteousness, and may your saints sing for joy. Good morning. Why do you come to church? Why even go to church? Why show up at church? You know, it's a question many are asking today. And there are many who are opting not to come, to gather with the church body, to worship God together, to hear the word for various reasons. And you've, you've heard the reasons, probably, most of them. Let me just highlight some of the ones that I have heard. Uh, nature is my church, right? I feel closest to God out in the woods, at the ocean, when I'm catching a nice brook trout or whatever it might be. <laughs> this sermon's for you. Oh. <laughs> How about, it's just too hard to get up. I work hard all week. It's my one day to sleep in. I don't like the music, the teaching, the gym we meet in, the whatever. Fill in the blank, right? There's some reason. I've been hurt by a church in the past. So I don't want to go. I might get hurt again. The church is full of hypocrites. Amen. <laughs> well, there's a person I'm having conflict with, and I don't want to see them. I'm afraid I'll run into them. Even though I try to sit on the other side of the church. <laughs> I'm afraid I'll run into him so I don't go. I don't see the need. God and I are a church. You know, I can have a relationship with God without all the messiness of church. TV is my church. Uh, we could go on and on, but these are just some of the ones I've heard. And we could answer such thinking in a number of ways. Such as corporate worship, gathering together, worshiping God together and hearing the word taught is expected of believers throughout the word of God. And in fact, it's commanded of us. You shall not forsake the gathering of yourselves together. It's commanded of us. It's good for our spiritual life. It's a big part of how we grow in Christ. It's relationship building. It's community Gathering and hearing the word over time as it penetrates our minds, changes our thinking and allows us to think more Christianly, more biblically about life. Now, these would all be true, and these are all good motivations. But I think we need a deeper motivation, one that goes to the very heart of who we are and the very heart of who God is. 
Today we're looking at Psalm 132. We're, we're nearing a, the end of our journey in the Psalms of Ascents. We only have this week and next week, and we'll finish this journey to the presence of God, to where the temple is. And in this psalm, as they're drawing near, I picture, and if you'd put up the picture, I picture them, think about this, they, they don't get to worship in the temple much. They live way up north in Galilee or in Gilead or on the coast. They live all over Israel, but three times a year they come for the great feasts where they can all worship God together. Only three times a year. And so as they crest the top of the Mount of Olives, as they've made this long journey around Samaria and they've come up through Jericho and they've climbed 4,000 feet in elevation and 17 miles and they crest the top of the Mount of Olives, they see this. And I think the singers of the Psalms of Ascent, as they see the temple, they are so excited and passionate that I think, now this is imaginative, I don't know this for sure, but this is how I picture the singers of this, this particular psalm, Psalm 132. As they arrive at the temple, they see the temple below and they're filled with joy. Wow, we're here! And they remind themselves of how this place got chosen to be the place of the Ark of the Covenant, the place of the temple, the place where God made his visible presence known on earth among the nation of Israel. And they're so excited to be there. We get to worship together. So the psalm reminds us of why this is so important, this place, but more than that, it's a reminder of why worship is such an incredible privilege for us as believers. May God use this psalm this morning to inspire us to be true worshipers of our Lord. Heavenly Father, as we are gathered here today to worship you, we've sung some wonderful songs. We've exalted you as holy and wonderful. But we need to hear from you now and Lord, we confess that we can grow in our worship. May this psalm be used of you by the power of your spirit to make us true worshipers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to look first at the heart of a true worshiper in the first 10 verses. Four qualities that I think reflect the heart of a true worshiper. First, a true worshiper worships in affliction, in affliction. The psalmist wrote the psalm and he says this. Verse one, remember, O Lord, on David's behalf, all his affliction, all his hardships, all the struggle that David went through. He goes on to talk about how David chose this very site because David was so passionate about wanting to worship God. But he begins with affliction. He says, remember, Lord, that, that David, despite all his affliction, or maybe because of all his affliction, was a true worshiper of yours. David is the one who chose this place, the place of the temple, to plant God's presence in. David was known as the singer of Israel. He was the king. He had authority. He had power. But in the midst of all his Afflictions, And David was afflicted. He ran from Saul in the wilderness for 14 years. He had incredible difficulty in his life. His own sons tried to kill him, etc., etc. 
And in all of that affliction, yet he was a true worshiper of God, a man after God's own heart. He wrote many, many of the psalms that we have. So the writer of this psalm reminds us that David worshipped in affliction. That it, it was in the midst of affliction that he learned to worship and be a worshiper of, of God, even when life was hard. Sometimes in our thinking, we think we struggle to, to really worship God when life is hard, don't we? It's hard to sometimes really praise him when, when life's difficult. But I, I think... It's actually easier to forget God and not worship him when life is easy. We start thinking that it depends on us and I don't really need God. And and we quickly fall away from real worship and praise when life's easy. But when it's hard, everything else begins to get stripped away. Affliction is a tool of God to strip away the other idols of our heart, the things we trust in, the things we depend on. And it leads us to have nothing left but God himself so that we begin to see more clearly without all these things in the way, take off the cloudy glasses so we see God more clearly. And the infliction does that so that we can worship God like David did more purely and more clearly and learn to delight in God for who he is. We heard the testimony last week of Dwayne Nolan and Lisa as they talked about this terminal cancer that Dwayne's fighting and how difficult that is. And yet, You heard the tone of praise in Dwayne's voice. That he's learning to praise God in a deeper way because of the affliction he's going through. So the psalmist begins there, and I think that's a key for a true worshiper, is that we worship in the midst of affliction. A true worshiper sees that no matter how hard life is, God is great. And I can exalt him and uplift him and give thanks to him. And as it says in Ephesians 5.20, very interesting, it says, Give thanks for all things in the name of Christ Jesus. Give thanks for all things in the name of Christ Jesus. You know, it's easy for us sometimes maybe to to give thanks in all things, (laughs) but to give thanks for all things, for the struggles, for the cancer, for... Well, when you see what what those afflictions do and how they strip away all else until you're left with nothing but God himself and you learn to love him more fully. You can learn to give thanks for all things in Christ Jesus. So a true worshiper worships in affliction. Secondly, a true worshiper chooses to worship. It's an act of the will. It's an act of the will. Notice verses 2 through 5. Let me read those again. How David swore to Yahweh, the Lord, and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely I will not enter my house nor lie on my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for Yahweh, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. The psalmist goes back and he's quoting David here and he's saying, wow, think about David's heart. That's the kind of heart I want to have, Lord, a heart that says, Lord, I want to find a place to worship you, a place for the ark to be so we can come together as the people of God and have the visible presence of God with us so that we can truly worship you. We can delight in you. And in fact, I vow to make that happen and I won't even sleep until that happens. (laughs) He's so excited about that. He's so passionate 
that he made a vow not even to sleep until he could cause his place of worship to happen. And so he bought the threshing floor of Aruna and built an altar there. And this became the place where the ark was placed and the temple was eventually built. It became the temple site. You see, David so longed to have a place for himself and for the people of God to worship God freely. He could not rest until it happened. So he vowed. (laughs) I think this is a good reminder for us today that worship is a choice. It's a commitment of the will to say, I will choose to worship you. It's a commitment to honor God. It's a choice of the will, not worshiping just when we feel like it. I know sometimes it feels that way. It feels like, well, you know, I'll worship you, God, when when I feel like it, when it's easy, when when it's convenient. But real worship doesn't happen unless I'm really into it. <laughs> but I think a true worshiper says, I can exalt you, Lord, even when I don't feel like it, even when I'm not into it, even when life's hard, even when I'm kind of down, even when my emotions are affected by other things, I can exalt you and worship you. And it is a choice to worship God, to make him first in our hearts. My daughter, Jackie, when she was in college at Western Washington, one year she rode on the crew team and uh, she was excited to be part of the team. It was a lot of fun. It was great. But every day she had to get up at 4 a.m. They had to be out on the lake by 5. Sometimes, I mean, this is western Washington, it was rainy. But they had to be out there early so they could have the lake to themselves and generally have it more calm than other days. And she had to make that choice every day to get up and be there. And lots of times she didn't feel like it. Who would? (laughs) But to be part of the team and to be able to contribute and to be part of what was happening there, she had to make that commitment, that choice to do it. So the heart of a true worshiper is one in which we determine, I will choose to worship. I will choose to go, even if it would feel better just stay in bed. <laughs> it would be feel better to just do something else. As a vow of my heart, like David, I will let nothing else get in the way. Third quality of a true worshiper that we see in the next couple of verses, verses 6 and 7, is that a true worshiper pursues community in worship. Community in worship, verse 6 and 7. Notice the plurals in the pronouns. Behold, we heard of it in Ephratha. We found it in the field of Jar. Let us go into his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. The singers of this psalm are encouraged to say, come on, everybody, let's go. Woo! Look, there's a temple. Come on. Hey, let's go. Let's all be together because there's something fabulous when we all come together and worship the Lord in community. We're here. (laughs) Let's join in together. I haven't done an intense study of this or anything, but... As I think through my understanding of Scripture, it seems to me that worship is pretty much always communal. It's, it's people getting together to worship God. You see, the heart of a true worshiper recognizes that though I can worship God one-on-one, and we should. We should make that part of our daily routine to focus on who He is and His character and his, the wonders of what He has done for us and in us and 
That is good. We need to do that on our own. But the heart of a true worshiper recognizes that the fullness of God's presence is much more experienced when we all come together as the body of Christ. And together we are worshiping him, focusing on him, celebrating, gathering in his name. Isn't it much better to go to a Broncos game than sit at home and watch it on TV? I mean, you know, there's the excitement, there's the sense of being together and and watching the game with everybody else and joining in the crowd. Well, it's a bit like that. That's just a tiny taste of, I think, how our worship together is meant to be. That our worship together is that excitement of the community being together. But more than that, far more than that, is that when we gather together, it's the body of Christ together. And so God is present in a way that he is not present when it's just one on one. Think about how the body of Christ is described in first Corinthians chapter 12, right? It's the physical body is compared to the us, the body of Christ. And that, you know, some are hands and fingers and some are toenails. I won't say which ones, but elbows and knees and all that. And if I'm if I'm an elbow and I'm worshiping what God one on one, that's great. But the fullness of God's presence is much more experienced when all the parts of the body are together and we are with one voice praising him and exalting him together. God is present in a way that is an amazing way. He dwells in the community of faith. And when we gather as a community of faith, we experience God more fully than we ever could on our own. And so a true worshiper recognizes that and says, I need to be in the community. So let's go. Come on, you guys. (laughs) Let's worship God together. So a true worshiper worships God for a number of reasons in the midst of affliction. He worships God by choice. He worships God in the community and pursues community so he can worship together with others. And fourth, a true worshiper longs for God's presence. There has to be a place in our heart where we Long for God's presence. Verses 8 through 10. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place. You and the ark of your strength. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your godly ones sing for joy. Show up, God, because there's blessing in your presence. Arise, God, and show up in this place. We need you here. I long for your presence. Psalm 34, verse 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. And the psalmist has tasted of the Lord. And so he says, hey, come on, let's gather together. And Lord, I want you to be here. I long for your presence. The singer saying, we're headed for your temple. Show up, God. We long for your presence because we know what's there. He says, righteousness, verse 9, your priest closes with righteousness, righteousness, and your godly ones sing for joy. He says, I know that there's righteousness and joy when you show up, God, in the praises of your people. There's something amazing that happens in God's presence. The word for righteousness, I I think what he intends here is he's saying that there's a rightness about it. We are right when we come together. There's something very right about it in our hearts when we gather together to worship, we we begin to get the sense of, wow, this is what I was made for. We were created to worship and 
When we gather to worship, we, we are fulfilling what we were created for in the very beginning. And we are doing the very thing, as we'll see a little later, that we will be doing for eternity. So there's something very right about it when we gather together. In fact, just to expand on that, every human being was made for that, to worship God. Every human being. We cannot not worship. (laughs) So if we're not worshiping God and we put anything else on the throne of our lives, anything else, doesn't matter what it is, we will be dissatisfied. We will not be right or righteous and we will not find the joy that God created for us. So as human beings, we put a lot of other things on there. We worship other things like money. But if you put money on the throne of your life, you'll end up broke and in poverty. Ultimately, it all gets taken away. If you put self on the throne, you don't have the resources. You're not worthy of worship and you end up at a loss. If you put nature there or power or status, pleasure, sex, all the things our culture puts on the throne of our hearts other than God and tries to worship those, they always disappoint. There is no rightness. There is no ultimate joy. So I think as we're talking about this, I think it's worthwhile right now for us as the body of Christ to just take a minute, and I want to do this, and have you ask yourself in your own heart, well, If the truth be known, God looking at my heart, the Holy Spirit looking at my heart, what really is on the throne of my life? What rules in my heart? What am I living for? What do I worship deep down? Just take a minute and ask the Lord that to show you. So a true worshiper is learning to long for God's presence, to see that My greatest joy, my greatest fulfillment is actually being able to praise him and be in right relationship with him. It's what I was made for. So how does God respond when we come with these things, when we come like David did? In the midst of our affliction, we praise him. We make it a choice to praise him. We seek community in worship to gather with other believers. And we long for God's presence. When that's the reality of our hearts and we're growing in that, obviously none of us are perfect. And so we're growing with a heart of worship. How does God respond? Well, I see three things in the next few verses that I think are great encouragements for us to gather in worship as we see the heart of God. I want to jump down to verse 13 and read 13 and 14. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his habitation. And then the psalmist quotes the words of God. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. How does God respond when we have a heart for worship and we say, I want to know you, I want to long to be with you, and I choose to praise you? He loves it. Twice the word desire is here. God desires that. He desires to be with us. He longs to be with us far more than we long to be with him. He, it floats his boat, so to speak. For God, it's like, like a child waiting for Christmas morning. He's just waiting. Oh, I, I long to be with my people and have them understand who I am and have them be 
who I created them to be in right relationship with me and learning to praise me and see me for who I am and understand who they are and how much I love them. I long for that. I love it when my people gather in my name to praise me. I've been longing to meet with you, to dwell with you, and have us worship together. God loves it. He loves it when we gather and praise him. And that's why the author of Hebrews in chapter 13 of the book of Hebrews, verse 15, says this. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. What, what, what God really longs for, the writer of Hebrews is saying, is not so much that we bring sacrifices, that we sacrifice ourselves for him and really serve him. Those are good things, okay? But what God really longs for is the sacrifice of praise, of giving thanks to his name. That's what turns his crank. (laughs) That's what gets him excited. God loves it when we worship. Secondly, God blesses us. How does he respond? He blesses us richly when we worship. Verses 15 and 16. I will abundantly bless her, that's Zion, that's a personification of Zion as the place where people come together and worship. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her needy with bread. Her priests also I will clothe with salvation and her godly ones I will sing aloud for joy. Essentially what God is saying, what he's promising is that when we gather in his name and we worship him together as the body of Christ, we choose to do that that he meets our needs. Now, it's described as, I'll give bread, uh, I'll meet your provisions. But I think far more than that, what God does, he meets our spiritual needs, the, the longings of our heart to be with him, but also the healing we need in our souls, the, the forgiveness that we need, dealing with our shame and our guilt, the areas in our lives that we need our thinking changed. It happens in corporate worship as we praise God and hear from God, our needs, our spiritual needs, the needs of our heart are met in a powerful way. And God promises that. And secondly, he promises salvation. Now, if you look back at verse 9, the prayer of the psalmist was this, let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your godly ones sing for joy. What God promises in verse 16, her priests I will clothe with salvation, even more than righteousness. Righteousness is, okay, I'm right with God. But salvation is everything that comes with God's blessing right into eternity. I'll not only make you right with me, but I'm going to give you far more than you've asked. (laughs) I'm going to give you the fullness of who I am. I will give you the fullness of salvation. And I will give you the joy that you've asked for. Wow. Why in the world would we not worship when God promises all of that when we gather in his name? But he's not done. Not only that, not only will you find a fulfillment in being who you are because you were made for worship. Just as, you know, I I want to stop for a minute and just say something about that. As you have walked through life, I hope you've had a sense at some point in your life 
of being able to say, wow, I'm doing what I was made for. I've done a lot of different things in ministry over the years, even at Cole, but I've been in other churches. And there's been a lot of things I've done in ministry that have been part of what I've had to do that I was not made for. <laughs> and I was not good at. But I love what I'm doing now. It's, it, it fits. It's who I am. It's what I was called to do. And there's a satisfaction in that. I hope you've experienced that. But what the psalmist is saying is that that ultimately comes, the greatest fulfillment of, ah, I'm doing what I was made for, comes in worship. Because that ultimately is what we were designed for and what we will be doing forever. That's the greatest fulfillment of our hearts. But not only does God bless us with all that and bless us with joy and all that, but he also promises to bless us with himself. I skipped over verses 11 and 12 and 17 and 18. Let me read those now. The Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. Of the fruit of your body, I will set upon your throne. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony, which I will teach them, their sons also shall sit upon your throne forever. Verse 17 and 18. There I will cause the horn of David to spring forth. I have prepared a lamp for mine anointed. That word for anointed, by the way, is Mashiach, Messiah. The enemies I will clothe with shame, but upon himself his crown shall shine. If you read these verses carefully, what is God promising? Jesus, the Messiah. He says, you see, David didn't ask for that. The psalmist, the singer, didn't ask for that. Lord, we want you to show up. We, we want to worship you. And he says, you know what? I'm going to give you more than that. I'm going to give you a Messiah to worship. I'm going to give you a visible presence on earth of who I am that's even beyond the temple. I am going to give you myself in a very real and physical way. This is an incredible promise how God shows up in the praises of his people and says, I will give you myself. This person who will have the horn of David, in other words, all the power, a lamp, verse 17, all the wisdom, the crown, verse 18, all authority. This ultimately is God himself in the form of Jesus. And let me say a couple of words just to kind of bring this all together. The Jews were so excited to show up at the temple because the temple, this place, this building, was the visible presence of God on earth. They knew that God dwelt far beyond that, but this was where they could come together and know God would show up. That's why they were so excited about it. And they wanted to be with God. But Jesus, when he showed up, said, you know what? The real visible presence of God on earth is not the building, not the temple. In fact, ultimately, it's going to be destroyed. The real presence, visible presence of God on earth when Jesus was here was what? Jesus. Remember, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. He's talking about himself. This temple, this place where God dwells in your presence. Amazing. Wonderful thing. But Jesus left. And so now, today, what is the visible presence of God on earth? It's us. It's the body of Christ. 
So these promises that talk about the temple being there forever, it's really us. We are the new temple. That's clear in the New Testament. We are the visible presence of God on earth. If people want to go and meet with God, it's in us. Isn't that amazing? So when we gather to worship him, he is here because he is in us. That's why the rock out front of our church says what? Cole Community Church meets here. The church is not this building. It's not buildings. It is, in fact, us, the very people of God. In fact, if you look at the history of the Old Testament, every time Israel said, no, no, it's the temple that's important. The temple, the temple. What did God do? He destroyed it. Jeremiah 7 The people were saying, the temple, the temple, nobody will hurt us. Babylon can't hurt us. Assyria can't hurt us because we have the temple. We can live any way we want. We don't have to be obedient because we have the temple. And Jeremiah says, no, I will destroy the temple. And in a few years, he did. It got rebuilt. And in Jesus' day, Jesus said, you're misunderstanding, Jews, Pharisees, Sadducees. You're worshiping the temple again. And he actually quotes Jeremiah 7. And he clears the temple to say this temple will be destroyed because you're missing it. You're missing God's presence on earth. And what happened? Forty years later, the Romans came in, destroyed the temple. God has never allowed the temple to be rebuilt. Now, I don't think he will. He may. I may be wrong. uh, But I don't think he will because I think he doesn't want us to misunderstand, to think somehow this place is the place of worship. It's not. It's us. This is where God dwells. We are the visible presence of God on earth. So why come to church? Why? You know, there's a lot of good reasons, but I think the psalm gives us the greatest reasons why we need to gather in his name. Because it's the heart of every true worshiper that we want to be together and we want to exalt his name. It's the longing of our hearts. It's what we were created for as human beings. And even more than that, God loves it. God delights in it when we sing his praises and when we gather and hear from him and exalt him for who he is. And he blesses it with meeting our needs and blesses it with salvation and blesses it with joy. And with his very presence, he shows up. And of course, it's what we'll be doing in eternity. And I want to close by reading parts of Revelation chapters 4 and 5. Because here we see this incredible worship service in heaven. It's a beautiful picture of what we will be doing for eternity that we get to rehearse now for. As we gather together, what happens is that there's a scene in heaven and there's a throne and you hear of the four living creatures that come before the throne and worship. It's beginning in verse eight of chapter four and the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings and full of eyes around and within and day and night. They do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the almighty who was and who is. And who is to come. But then, it's not just the four living creatures, but the 24 elders join in. Down in verse 11. 
Starting in verse 10, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. But the service isn't over. (laughs) Next, all the angels of heaven join together. And in chapter 5, verse 8, it says, They fell down before the throne. Oh, excuse me, verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them were myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. But it's not over yet. Verse 13, and every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. That's our future. And when we worship now, God delights in it. And we're preparing our hearts for an eternity of glorifying God together. Pray with me. Lord, Thank you for this incredible picture of how important worship is for us, but even more importantly for you. Lord, may we learn to be true worshipers that worship from the heart in the midst of affliction and making the choice to worship you, to choose to do it communally and to long for your presence and and to hold on to your promises that you will show up and you will bless us as we worship. May we be people who worship you truly from the heart. And now as we sing together, may may you be pleased with our worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.